to be in your great city, your great region, your great nation. You live in a great nation. It is no doubt you have some challenges, but uh, so do we. But this is a great, great country, a great land, a great city. I was driving down here this morning from the north coast to come preach here. My dad texted and said, praying for you as you preach in my favorite city in the world. So my dad sends greetings from Australia, but uh, what a privilege just to be together here. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Thank you for hanging out with us this evening and uh, making time just to come together and celebrate the King and His Kingdom. And well done to Glenridge for hosting us. We do appreciate you opening your facility, making all the money that you make when you sell all the hamburgers and hot dogs. And I'm just joking, bro. But uh, we love partnership. We love friendship. We love being together. We love what God's doing around the nations, but we also love what He's doing in this nation. And I love what He's doing in His church through His church. We were here a year ago, uh, six months ago, but we did a city celebration here a year ago, and how, how things have changed since then. And uh, obviously, some people are facing more challenges, but there does seem to be a shift as we found our way last year, trying to work out what's been going on, what's God been doing. And now we seem to be in a, in a different season where we get to carry on and run more with what God has for us. We were meeting together as a team last year uh, in October in Joburg, in Gauteng, and we were there together as a world global team, those who could get together. And we were praying and worshiping and honoring, trying to identify somewhat of the season we've come out of, and also trying to work out what the season we're going into. And one of the prophetic guys got up and said, it's been a season of letting go. COVID, in a sense, the crazy season was us realigning our hearts, getting back to what matters. I remember in 2020, I felt God say that 2020 was going to be a season of release. And I went to Australia in January of 2020 and I preached the Aussies. It's a season of release. And what I thought was God's going to hook us up, bless us, give us everything we need. It's going to be an outpouring of heaven and an overflow. And, and then I flew back to the U.S. and about two weeks later, the whole world shut down. And some Australians dared text me and say, well, how's about that little prophetic word you brought? And I, I claim not to be a prophet very quickly, but we look back in those crazy times, and let me tell you, we've been released of many things, and so we felt like there was a season of release, a lining up, getting back to just God, kind of we've had to let go of some things, but let me tell you, this is not a season of letting go, this is a season of let's go, and we had a prophetic guy got up on, at our team meeting and said, hey man, guys, I feel like God's saying it's been a season of let go, but now it's a season of let's go. It's a season of let's go. And I'm not here to hype you this evening. You've got to hear that. I'm not a cheerleader. I don't want to cheer you on and cheerlead through the season. But I do sense as I came to your shores this season, this week, these last couple of weeks I've been here, I really sense that God's saying it's a season to go. It's a season to let's go. It's a season to not find your way. It's a season to get on with what God's called you to. And I realize that I'm speaking to mostly those who are already doing it. But I do want to just say there is something of a shift in the season we're in. And we've got to get better in God to know the seasons we're in. When we moved to Denver, Colorado to plant a church, we moved from Australia. We relocated to a city we'd never been to before. I'd seen it, but I'd never actually been there until God told us to move then. When we landed there, the call that God gave us was, do you want to move to Colorado, Denver, to be a part of what I'm doing? It wasn't go do your thing and hope I'm in it. It's respond to me and go and be a part of what I'm doing. I want to tell you that sounds a lot easier than it is. It's a lot easier to have a strategy to get to a place and go with your flow and do your thing and hope God's in it. It's a whole lot more difficult to actually find out what God's doing and get involved with what God's doing. But let me tell you, when you get involved with what God's doing, the life of God flows in and through us. And so I do trust this has been a great region in our ranks and to our togetherness. This has been a region that has seen many churches established and planted it's also been a region where we've seen a lot of God, good things happen. And uh, there has been a regrouping, but I do sense there's a trumpet sound. Let's go. Let's go. Let's crack on. Let's carry on. God's never stopped what He said He would do. I'm going to ask you, please, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I know that I say this a lot, but I love Jesus and I love His church. I love Jesus and I love His church. But do you know that you can love the church and not love Jesus? 
Hard to believe, but it's possible and it's evident in many places. Many people love the church but don't love Jesus. But do you know that you cannot love Jesus and not love His church? I love Jesus and I love His church. But in saying that, I want us please to be reminded again as we talk about the church and our role and what we're called to do together as the church, as the people of God. Remember this, that the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. Do you know that the church is not about people? The church is a people who are about Jesus. We're not about people. If we're about people, then just so you know, it's all about us. But it's not all about us. We are a people who are all about Him because it's all about Him. So while the church is not the center of God's plan, Jesus is, please remember that the church is central to God's plan. He's the center of it. We are central to it. It's all about Him. It all revolves around Him. But we have a part to play in what God is doing in this time, in this season, what He's doing in KZN, what He's doing on this planet, and what He wants to continue to do through us. And so, so I want to encourage us this afternoon, this evening, to understand our role, to recognize that every believer in this room has a role to play. We know that, but just to be reminded, it's not those who stand up here and preach that God looks to. It's every individual who's saved by the blood of Jesus, who's been born again, who's been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into, transferred into this kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption. We are followers of Jesus, bought, purchased with the blood of Jesus. And every one of us in this room are equal in God's eyes, all called, all needed, all necessary, and we are all the church. Our congregations might be across this region, but we are one church, His church, all needed, all called, all handpicked from heaven for such a time like this, through the crazy season that we're going through, and whatever lies next, handpicked from heaven for today in this place, we are a people of destiny. I want to be careful with even my title, but I want to talk about being unstoppable church in an unstable world. I'm not one of those guys who likes to cheerlead or even come with those slogans, but we are an unstoppable church, I believe, in an unstable world. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. The world's been rocked like never before. The church has been rocked. There's been shaken. How many of you know that shaking reveals what we are anchored to? I hate shaking, but I'm grateful for shaking because you don't know what you are anchored to until the shaking takes place. And so the shaking that's happened has been a good thing. It's revealed to us what really matters. It's revealed to us what we're putting our lives on and what we're building our lives and the church and our ministries around. And we've come back to that revelation that in the shaking, God reveals what really matters. The whole world is getting more and more unstable. There's no guarantees. There's absolutely no guarantee. And that's not to feel bad or to be fearful. Just be aware. In an unstable world, God is looking for His church to be an unstoppable church. And that's us. And I want to look at some of those things and what is it? And just remind us, almost just, again, reiterate what matters and what we can contend for to remain un uh, unstoppable even as things get more and more unstable. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, we see this amazing picture, in a sense, a description of something of what God wants His church to be. I've heard a lot of people tell me what the church should be, but I want to hear what God describes the church to be. That matters more to me than what people want. That matters more to me than what the world says, or what our nation says, or what our region say, or even with all due respect, what our pastors say. I want to hear what God, how God describes His church. And there are many emphases and many scriptures we could go to. But tonight I just want to highlight a few verses out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Here we have this description of the true church. As the Holy Spirit recorded through Peter. And some of the things God has to say about His church. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. It says, As, as you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also why they, what, what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people. See, that speaks of dignity. You, the church, my church, are a chosen people. Literally means a select race or an elect race. We are a chosen people. He goes on and says, a royal priesthood. Speaking, I believe, of destiny. So we are a people of dignity. We're a people of destiny, a royal priesthood. And then he says, a holy nation. A holy nation that speaks of being distinct, different, not like anything else or anyone else. The emphasis is upon the word holy. We are a holy people, a people set apart for God, a people who are different to others. And then it says, a people belonging to God. We belong to God. We are owned by Him. We are known for our connection to Him, not our connection to each other. We known to be a people of God. We belong to Him. That you may declare the praises of Him. Praises of Him. We are a people who declare His praises. When people see us, they see Him. When they hear us, they hear about Him. When they encounter us, they should be encountering Him. That is how God sees His church. The church is to proclaim His wondrous deeds, to show forth the glory of the Lord, to make known His gracious dealings with His people. The word declare simply means to advertise. Do you know that you and I are adverts for God? That wherever we go, we're advertising and declaring. The way we live, the way we speak, the way we honor, we're distinct, we're different, and we're declaring His praises wherever we go. It says, who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a people who are delivered. We've been delivered. The description of God's people are, we delivered. Once we were not, now we are set free, called out, and have received mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your, your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. That speaks of a people who are called to be a devoted people. A people who literally represent Him and are living different to the rest of the world. I read this quote and it says this. It says, as the body of Christ on earth, the church has a key identity to help us accomplish our mission. When we lose our identity, we lose the sense of our mission because... We become part of the world. When we maintain our identity, we are free to pursue our mission here on earth. It facilitates us to be unattached to the world's values. We can keep the kingdom of God and His purposes in focus. For successful mission, the church must maintain an alien identity. Without it, 
It is just a temporal identity. There is no hope for the eternal. With it, we are undefeated, pregnant with purpose, and resolved to honor our master in mission. With, that, with it, our mission is clear, simple, and powerful. Listen to this. If we are not different, we have nothing different to offer. God is very particular about what it is to be His people and what He's done and what His Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. And while we call to this world and we call to live in it, we're not of it. And while we call to reach them, we don't become them because we used to be them, but He's liberated us and made us His people who are different to everyone else. And we have to, as the followers of Jesus, keep contending to be different, not so we are different, simply to be what God's called us to be so we can have greater effect and impact in this world around us as His church, recognizing what can we offer to them if we have nothing different from them. And I think that is a challenge for every follower of Jesus here today to say, Lord, we want to simply be these things. Hey, what you see your church to be, we want to be that. And so I want to talk, as I said, about the unstoppable church in an unstable world. See, I'm convinced we need clarity like never before. We can't be distracted by what God's not doing because we're not able to see what He is doing. Proverbs 29, 18, well-worn text, I realize where there is no vision, the people perish. Some versions say, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. I, I love Eugene Peterson's version where he says, when people cannot see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they are most blessed. And so in these times and seasons, we God's people, we need clarity if we're going to be an unstoppable church in an unstable world. We need conviction. How many of you know conviction's a, a strategic thing? It's something that God's given to us. And, and I've heard it put like this. We hold on to, uh, to our, our uh, sorry, well, let me say, uh, what did we, uh, convictions hold on to us. We hold on to some truths, but a conviction holds on to us. We need some holding on to us as we contend for the season time uh, that we're living in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm just going to read it to you, verse 13 and 14 in the message. And Stan used the message, so therefore, so can I. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, it says this. Listen to Paul writing, and he says this. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. We need conviction. Are you still convinced? Are you living in according to convictions? And I've been surprised, if I can just say, how many have lost conviction based on circumstance. We've got to believe what we believe no matter what we face. And that's what God's called His church to in this season. We need consistency. One of the greatest revelations for me over this crazy time because I'm all about mission, right? I'm all about, give me a mission. I want to get on with the job. What is wrong with us? And I felt the Lord really remind me that we are His mission while we're on His mission. Are you listening? He's working on us while He's working through us. And He's as committed to us growing up as well as using us. So it's not like it's either or. And I'm all about, can't we just get things sorted out so we can get on with the will of God? And God's like, yes but I'm going to bring you to a place of maturity. I want you to grow up. So I'm going to work on you while I'm working through you. It's not either or. So let's just have a little more grace for each other in these times and seasons because God is committed to us growing up while He's committed to using us in the process of growing up. He is committed. There's no short circuit to you and I becoming more mature because He's readying us for the return of Jesus, a bride that is spotless and grown up. So the good news People have said to me, thank God we're out of that season and I've learned so many lessons and now I'm ready. And I want to say, whoa, you ready to hear some good news? He's not done with working on you. You will be worked on till he returns. And there's a reason for that. He's as committed to that as you and I are taking the gospel to the outermost parts of the earth. And while you're committed to that, let's be committed to him working on us. Let's grow up. Let's mature. We are his mission while we're on his mission. He's working on us 
while He's working through us. So we need consistency. Let Him work on you. Let Him deal with you. Let Him do stuff in us and over us while He uses us to reach other people. I also want to say that God is, we need to do better in these times of reading the seasons. As I said earlier, we've been released from things in order to be released into greater things. Let God, let go. Now let's go. There's a shift, I believe, in shoes. We need some new shoes. And I'd love to buy you shoes, but I'm not going to do that. I feel the Lord saying, we need not running shoes. We need all-terrain shoes. I really do. I know you can say, oh, this is weird. I just want to tell you, South Africa, I've come to your region, to, your, to the church, and to tell you, God's saying, change your shoes. The season you're running into, you cannot run into this new season, this next season, with the shoes you were wearing from the last season. I had a picture of a bride in a dress, and I could see those wonderful high heels, right? That's what most brides wear. But let me just tell you, that's an attractive thing, and that's great. But the new season required for us is a bride with all-terrain running shoes. You're not going to be able to take ground and walk in where God's called us to and be an unstoppable church in an uncertain season or world wearing high heels. It's time to take those attractive shoes off, put some all-terrain. It's some ground-taking. Let's go. Let go. Now let's go. Read the season God has you in, friend, because we've got to shift. Even tonight, I believe biblically or spiritually, there's a new season. Put some new shoes on. All-terrain. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be mountains and valleys. There's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be rivers. There's spiritually, we're going to take some ground. But it needs new shoes. So don't try and run the new season with your old shoes. We also need to be committed to completing the task. God's calling the church to complete the task He's given us. We must be good finishers. I know a lot of good starters, but we've got to get better at finishing. There's some tasks that God's given His church in this season, through this season, here in this region, through individuals in this room. Complete your task. J.D. Greer, and I'm not quoting him because I know him. I'm just quoting him because I want to honor who said this. And he said this, the difference between a first generation or first uh, first generation and second generation. I, I just, I find this incredibly challenging as we are in our third and fourth generation, how there is a difference between first generation and second generation. We're going to complete the task. If we're going to take ground. If we're going to be unstoppable, we need to understand the mindset of a first generation people. He said, the first generation does whatever it takes. Second generation does only what I'm asked to do. First generation assumes personal responsibility. Second generation assumes someone else will do it. First generation expects personal sacrifice. Second generation expects personal comfort. First generation sees problems and seeks solutions. Second generation sees problems and complains. First generation sees possibilities and dreams about what could be. Second generation sees barriers and reasons to quit. First generation hears the voice of God firsthand and owns the vision. Second generation inherits the vision secondhand and questions every decision. First generation steps out with bold, reckless faith and trust in God. Second generation sits satisfied in the stability of the institution. First generation fears holding anything back from God. Second generation fears commitment. First generation feels privileged to be a part of the movement. Second generation feels entitled to the benefits of the institution. He said that I did not. But I want to say this. While there are shifts in seasons and the way we've done things will not work going forward, that's why we have to adjust the way we do things. We cannot adjust the mindset of the first generation. We need a mindset of a first generation in whatever generation we are as we adjust. We can't go back to the ways of the first generation, but we must have that mindset if we're going to keep pioneering, taking ground, and continuing to walk in the more of what God has for us. I don't know what generation we're in here. 
But I'm telling you, friends, we need that mentality. This is not a God thing, a good thing. It's not a man thing. It's God's thing. We've got to be all in. I'm not trying to cheer you along here. I've said that. I'm being very careful not to do that. But God's calling for an all-in mentality for His people. It's going to cost. It's going to cost everything. But that's why we're here, to get the job done so we can get back to being with Jesus and enjoying eternity forever. And it's going to cost. And there's stuff we're going to do that doesn't make sense. And there's stuff that doesn't add up. And if you've planned your next 10 years, God's got a different plan. With all due respect for your next 10 years, even for your next year. And it's okay, because you can trust an unknown future to a God that you know very well, who's in absolute absolutely control of everything we say and everything we do. I'm not contending for what was, but I need a mindset. I want to be a first-generation mindset. I want to hear God for myself, not borrowed truth, not someone else's revelation. Listen, friends, can I just say this? This is not in my notes. We don't lay down our vision for another man's vision. God has not called you to come and join with us and lay down your vision to take up some other man's vision because any man's vision is not what we're running with. This is God's vision. This is God's way. We're serving God together. So we all lay down our visions as we all take up His vision to serve His vision, the plans and the purposes that He has for us. You see, what happens when we begin to maintain, and I think there has been, because of reality and circumstances, we begin to maintain and begin to manage. Maybe we've got some managers here, and we praise God for managers, but there's no managing in the kingdom. We're not called to maintain and manage. And so the problem that happens when we begin to maintain and manage, what happens is the upkeep of the church distracts us from advancing the kingdom. Church membership becomes a right rather than a responsibility. Worship becomes our weekly buzz rather than a catalyst for our mission. Our decisions become safe and domesticated rather than bold and gutsy. Our prayers become fleshy rather than kingdom focused. When we begin to maintain and manage, church leaders become religious service providers rather than mission mobilizers. Preaching becomes a form of entertainment rather than a battle cry. Discipleship becomes a sanctified version of self-help rather than recruitment and training to serve on the front lines. The Bible becomes a stimulus for self-exploration rather than a summons to join in God's global purpose. And the most tragic of all that happens when we begin to maintain is this. Jesus becomes a mild means of self-fulfillment rather than a conquering king who summoned us into his service. Needless to say, maintaining and managing is death to the church that Jesus is trying to build. Not to feel bad, a challenge to us. Don't settle, don't maintain, don't manage. Let's crack on, press on, keep going, keep pondering as we step into the more that God has for us. I want to say that we've got to keep aligning ourselves with God's Word, friends. You know, vision is not created by creative types. We don't need creativity when it comes to vision. You know what we need? Discernment. And you know what we need? Leaders, church leaders, not to offload the vision to get the creative types to take over and run with the vision. We as God's people, as leaders, need to get before God and get back to the Word of God and make sure we're aligning vision from the Word of God and then give the creative types the application, the applying of it, not the finding of the vision. It's not a creative thing. It's an aligning thing that comes from an understanding that we need discernment when we're setting vision. And our thing is to keep going back to the Word of God and making sure that it is in Scripture for what He's called us to. So let me just give you a few of these things, if I may. Not new. I'm pretty sure you know them, but I really feel like this is what God's called me to say. So here it is. Do with it what you will. 
But we want to be this unstoppable church, surely. We don't want to stop. I know stuff stops, and but the season to carry on, and unstable in the shaking, and there's more shaking to come. But God hasn't called His church to sit idly and wait and watch. He's called us to get in and get on with what He's called us to. As we get shaken with the things that are going on, we've got to keep going. The unstoppable, the unstoppable church, number one, they know their master is Jesus Christ. Oh, we know this, Tyrant. Yes, we know this. But I'm telling you, friends, if we don't understand the revelation of Jesus as master of everything, the church cannot function in what God intended the church to function. See, there's no one in this room that will say, yeah, Jesus obviously plays a major role in this. Not a major role, the role. He plays master role. He is Lord of everything. And if we're truly going to understand being a people who are unstoppable, it's not Jesus, my mate, Jesus, my friend. It's Jesus who's Lord, who's master. He's above everything. You see, we've got to keep coming back to the Jesus of our Bibles, not the Jesus of our culture. And there's this Jesus of our culture that keeps getting pitched to us that reduces Jesus to someone other than master because we've been told we're the master of our own worlds. I'm just going to tell you, that church that sees themselves as masters will never be, a, they will totally be stoppable. And we've seen it happen across the world and the nations where churches just hold back because Jesus is not really master anymore. You see, how we see Jesus, I've realized this, how I see Him determines how I serve Him. The way I view Christ determines what I do for Jesus. You know that, Right? Our Christology, we keep saying, determines our missiology, and our missiology determines our ecclesiology, and our ecclesiology plays a major role in our eschatology. And all that sounds very impressive, but it's not very. It's simply saying this, my revelation of Christ, how I view Jesus, determines how I operate in the vision and the mission He has for me. And how I operate and how we operate in the vision and the mission determines who the church really is. And the church plays a major role in end times. So can I say to you this evening, whatever your view of Jesus, if it's, if it's wrong view, your wrong view of Jesus, your view on mission is wrong. Your view on the local church is wrong. Your view on end times is wrong. Even if you think you got the great download from heaven, it's wrong if your view of Jesus is wrong because a correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. When we lose that, when we reduce that revelation to Him being a friend of mine or just that, I want to tell you, friends, we lose our way. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, all things, everything means everything. Even in the Greek, everything's everything. In Afrikaans, Zulu, Koza, whatever your thing is, everything means everything. So here's the thing. Where does Jesus sit in our lives? If He's not above all, then truly He carries no value at all. He's master. He's been given first place. That doesn't mean He has first place, but although He carries first place, does He have first place with us? Prominent or preeminent? See, I think He carries a prominent place, but it doesn't mean that He's carrying preeminent first place. A place or first place? I had a friend who preached recently, and I listened to him. It was a great preach, and he said this, is Jesus ornamental to you or fundamental to you? If He's ornamental to you, you fit Him around what you're doing. If He's fundamental, we fit around who He is. And I ask you again this evening, friends, is Jesus ornamental or is He fundamental? Does He take a place or does He have first place? And a church that is unstoppable, understand and know the revelation. There's one Master, there's one Lord, and it's not me and it's not you. It's Him and He's worthy and we settle and we live for the King and for the Kingdom. You see, He's our master and our first love. He's our reason and our reward. Many of us want to go to Him for the more of stuff. How about we go to Him for the more of Him? 
He's our master. He's our reason for everything we do. But He's also our great reward. Our inheritance and our future is wrapped up, yes, in each other. But more importantly, it's wrapped up in Him. He is our great reward. He is our inheritance. He's the one who matters most. And an unstoppable church must not, cannot lose sight of that. Where everything around us is trying to reduce Him to be something that is not. He is Lord of everything. So we are seeking the governing of the king. He's, not a, he's our master. He's not a mascot. He's king of kings. and He's guided. Are you being guided by the king? Not by the people around us, by your ministry. God, Jesus is guiding you. We go for the king. Do you know that? There's a sending, and I hope we get there tonight, but there's a sending, and God wants us to go. But we don't go for the nations. We don't go for the regions. We don't go for the people out there. That's not enough. We go for the king. Do you know, my parents live in Australia, and that's great, and I live in America, and that's not great, because they live in another country. And during COVID, I wasn't able to get there. They shut down. Australia literally shut all the borders and said, no one's coming back. And I'm an Australian citizen and an American, and I couldn't get back. They said, if you come back, you stay here. I couldn't do that. And so I wasn't happy. It was a few years, and then finally I get to go back. And I was sitting with my parents, and I was thinking, why can't I? If I have any regrets, and I know you're not supposed to, but if I have when one day, the regret will be this. My parents live in another country. I live in another country. Why can't I just go hang out with them in their last days? My dad's 80 now. He's on his way out. Why can't I just go sit with them, go hang out with them, enjoy life with them, live there till they pass, and then I can crack on? And I, be, I found myself getting a little bit agitated with America, with the people, with the places and the region. And I felt the Lord tell me this. You're not in America for America. You're not in America for the people in America. You're not in the region for the... You're there for me. And when you get there for me, it makes everything a little more doable because it's for Him, not for them, not for the regions, not for the places. I'm there because of Jesus. Then it's okay. It gives it worthwhile. It gives you something to live and understand because He's King and I go for the King and I'm living in what He's called me to because He's King. So it's not easy, but it makes it a lot easier when we get the revelation, we go for the King. We live for the glory of the King. And so let me tell you, an unstoppable church knows their master is Jesus Christ. Secondly, an unstoppable church knows that their message is the gospel of the kingdom. I, I know it's a very quoted scripture. I know in our ranks we quote it a lot. But it's amazing when Jesus begins to describe some of the end times. And, and I know that some people have different understandings of this and different theological understanding. And that's cool. But Jesus said this. In Matthew 24, he said, all these things will begin to happen as signs that the end's coming, right? And he said, earthquakes and rumors of wars and wars and nation against nation. And he said, these will be signs of the beginning of the end. And then he said, in verse 14 of chapter 24, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Now, that was not a commission. The commission came later in Matthew 28. But that was a promise that this gospel will be preached to every nation. But note what the message is. The gospel of the kingdom. That is our message. Don't forget that what we win people with is what we win people to. And we've reduced, if I can just state... The church seems to be a bit quiet about kingdom stuff. We like to preach the Jesus of the Bible. We like to preach Jesus loves you. We like to pray that Jesus wants to save you. He's got a plan for your life. And we've got all these great strategies. But there's a gospel that we're called to preach, which is the gospel of the kingdom. That is our message. That's the unstoppable message. The kingdom of God advancing in and through our lives. See, the aim of the gospel is not to get men to heaven but rather to return them to God. You know, there's some people who love to gossip. Christians love to gossip. God hates gossip. So if you want to gossip, are you ready? Gossip the gospel. That's what you're allowed. Actually, you're not allowed to. You're encouraged to gossip the gospel. Gossip, gossip the gospel. Talk about the gospel. That's what we're allowed to gossip, to, to gossip about. 
Let me just remind you quickly that this, gospel, this message we carry, it's a distinct message. Every major religion relies upon performance for salvation. The gospel centers about around a person for salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Other messages tell people what they must do to be saved and what they have. The gospel tells people what's been done for people's salvation. Remember the gospel we've been given to preach, the unstoppable gospel is He did it for them. They don't have to do it for Him. And when we listen to this, it's bad news. It's not bad news. It's good news. And we've been called to declare it. It's a distinct message. Do you know, it's a dynamic message, this gospel. It's dynamic. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This gospel has the power to transform wretched people and take them from death to make them, give them life. This gospel took this wretched sinner who turned his back on God, knowing what he was doing was wrong, but didn't care. And then in a moment where I turned to the Lord and received this good news, it took a sinner and absolutely turned me upside down from the inside out and saved. It has the power to save anyone and everyone. It is powerful and we're not ashamed of this gospel. And it's almost like we've been quiet about this and there's a lot of bad news. Let's get some good news out there. We have the power of God to transform, to take dead people and make them alive, to transform from the inside out. And so while this gospel is incredibly powerful, do you know that it does have limits? The Bible says it cannot save until it's first been believed. It cannot be believed until it's been first heard. And it cannot be heard until it's first been preached. So this powerful gospel that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of, that has transformed every life in this room, has limitations. And we can limit it, because if we don't go tell them, they can't believe it. If they haven't believed it, they can't hear it. So friends, we play a role with this incredible gospel to declare it and go and tell the world that Jesus lives. It's not about making bad people good. It's taking dead people and making them alive. Some of you say, well, you know, like uh, since Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and if necessary, you use words. And I know what he's saying, but he's biblically wrong. I know what he was saying is we're hypocrites. We need to live what we preach. But we need to preach what we live. People need to hear the good news. It's kind of like saying, hey, after this meeting, let's go feed the hungry. And if necessary, let's give them food. We've been called to declare the good news, to preach the good news, to speak it, to declare it. To We are heralds of the good news, not just hold back and hope everyone asks me why I'm so happy today. I'm not mocking, I'm just saying it's time, a season, it's a declaration. The good news needs to be declared. Durban needs the good news, KZN, South Africa and the nations of the world. And we've been given, and our message is not the church or NCMI or your thing or my thing. The message is the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel that we've been given. Gospel of the kingdom. Amen. Just while I'm here, thirdly, the unstoppable church knows their mission is the whole world. It's not just where you live, and I'm grateful for where you live. But I'm telling you, the Lord has called this people to reach this region, this region, this city, this nation, but my dear friends, and the nations of the world. I, I just wish it wasn't in there, because I realize your rant's not getting better. I wish it was for you, but for me, it's a joy. I'm like on 18 or 20, to, what is it, 16, 15, 18 to 20. I mean, listen, we, we're having a ball at your expense. And you might sit here and go, you know what, to be honest, the rand's not strong. We can't, when it gets better, I'm not sure it's getting better. And if you're going to throw rocks at me, that's fine. He didn't say when you have a strong rand, crack on with a call. He didn't say when things are going well. When your economy's pumping and when your government's on board and you don't have load shedding. And I, and I realize, friends, I've been here a few weeks, it's not easy. But he didn't say when things are easy, get on. He said, get on with the mission I've been given to you because you're unstoppable even when it's all unstable. 
Now this isn't a cheer. I'm being very careful not to cheer lead you. But this nation has impacted the nations of the world. And I know that because I travel to the nations. I live in America and it's amazing how many South Africans have been sent still who are coming to plant churches and to break open regions and to go to the outermost parts of the earth. And I'm saying, well done, praise God. But that's the mission He's given you as the local church. And you guys in this region, you still got more to do in this season and time. So would you remind and say, yes, Lord, I want to do what you've called me to do. Charles Spurgeon says, the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. And then the end will come. The promise of God. We've got a part to play. See, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1, they did the city thing. Jerusalem was so do, being done well that the Lord allowed persecution for the gospel to get out of the city walls to get to where else He wanted it to go. I don't know about you, but for me, I would rather operate out of Revelation from Acts chapter 1 verse 8 than have God have to bring Acts chapter 8 verse 1 to scatter us because God is committed to this gospel getting to all nations. And I'd rather do it out of revelation than being forced to do it because of persecution. But God will have His way. And it's not to make us, whoa, not to make us feel bad or fearful. Don't worry about it, Greg. <laughs> Thank you, though. Are you there? Someone said, if your world is not your parish, if the world is not your parish, your parish will become your world. I reckon a lot of churches have made their world, their parish, their world. And while this is our world, God's called us to be a people of the whole world. Go read Revelation 5. If we had time, we were going to read it. Revelation chapter 5 is this incredible picture where it says that it, he held in his right hand the scrolls, but no one was found worthy to open those scrolls. Now those scrolls, you know what they do? They represent the destiny of every single person on this planet. Every individual is wrapped up in the scroll that's in the right hand of him. The destiny of all people in his right hand. And he's found weeping. Why? Because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls. Eventually they come and say, do not fear. Do not worry. Why are you weeping? There's one who has been found worthy. Jesus Christ is the one. The lamb who was slaughtered. The good news for everyone is that Jesus came and made a way. Listen, for everyone. Do you know they say, that based on current numbers, there are three, over 3 billion people, based on their revelation, their current knowledge of God, they are destined for hell. 3 billion people. And that's not to make us feel bad, but that is to remind us there's a call. See, Jesus is about reaching the lost, but He's also about reaching the unreached. I don't know any person in, the, in this city who's a believer who doesn't want to reach the lost. You're mixing with them day in and day out. But do you want to reach the unreached as much as you want to reach the lost? Because that is the call that Jesus has given to His church. They say that every 24 hours in a Western culture, which would be still South Africa, someone would have the privilege of hearing the gospel preached every 24 hours in a Western culture. But when it comes to an unreached region, Every 30-something years, someone would have the privilege of hearing the gospel preached once. Again, not to feel bad, but more than, oh, Lord, we'll pray. He didn't ask to pray for the harvest. He asked us to pray for workers to go to the harvest. I was recently invited to preach in Columbus, Ohio, in, uh, in the U.S., and it was in a church where the average age of the church is between 20 and 25. That's a young church. I really felt old. I used to think I was young, and then I sat with these guys. And it's right on the Ohio State University, 63,000 students, right there. And they asked me, would you come preach on church planting, nations, and, and reaching the unreached? I said, yeah, I'd love to. Four days, Nicole and I had the privilege of just ministering to these young people. And on the Tuesday night, I was flying back to Denver on the Wednesday. Tuesday night, I had a bunch of young guys show up and said, would you please pray for me? I said, what would you have me pray? They said, I want you to pray for me because I want to go and die for the gospel. 
Now, I, 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 I'm careful with my wording here, friend, because this is radical statements. But there are unreached regions. And the reason they're unreached is because no one wants to go, because no one's going to welcome you coming with the message of Jesus Christ to those regions. That's why they're unreached. But they left and they're waiting. And there's a call, a fresh sense of a generation, a young generation. Yes, it's not for the young people, but Gen Z, Gen Z. This Z, you told me a Z, right? We say Z, you say Z, Gen Z. I don't like categorizing anyone, and I don't even know what the age is, but put your hand up if you're Gen Z. Yeah, okay, you're a bit old. Put your hand down, please. But uh, anyway, here's what they say about this next generation, Gen Z. They are the most anti-church, but they are the most spiritually open of all generations. They are also the most cause-driven generation that has ever lived. They're fighting causes, and I could get in trouble if I mention them. Climate, LBGTQ, this, BLM, LA, whatever, you name it, they're out there. And when you question, what are you fighting for? They say, we don't know. We're just sick of the status quo, and we want to fight. How about we mobilize these incredible generation who are skilled, who understand something of the revelation and the spiritual stuff, and are ready to fight? How about we mobilize them to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Could this not be the generation that ushers in the return of our King Jesus? I believe it can very well be, but it means we've got to get them understanding the revelation of Jesus and be willing to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And friends, I want to tell you, when those men and young guys stood and said, would you pray for me? I want to go and die for the gospel. They meant it. They were so moved by God, not by my preaching, to say, I'm willing to die. Here am I. Send me. I will die for the gospel. That is challenging. And when I was handed this team 20 years ago next year, hopefully we make the 20 years. One of my friends said to me, I asked him, what do you think the biggest challenge will be for me leading NCMI? And one of the guys came to me and said, you're going to send people under your watch to regions where they're going to die for the gospel. They're not coming back. That was 20 years ago. I said, no ways. I don't send anyone anywhere. But I want to tell you this. This is the season we're in. An unstoppable church in an uncertain world requires a people who catch the mandate. It's the whole world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ. God is committed to getting this gospel to everyone. If you read the Bible, heaven made a way for this gospel to go global. Heaven is committed for this gospel to go global. And heaven uses the local to get this gospel to go global. Local churches have to, again, embrace the call to the uttermost parts of the earth and to the lost, the least, and those who are around us who are desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you there? See, many of us are waiting for His second coming when most or lots have never heard about His first coming. And I also just say world evangelization is a fantasy if we don't plant churches. You know, planting churches is not an NCMI thing. It's not even a goal. It's not the goal to plant churches. The goal is to get the gospel to everyone to get Jesus to come back. But we are not going to. It's a fantasy to think world evangelization can happen if we're not multiplying and planting churches. What I've realized is that if we plant churches, we might make disciples. But if we make disciples, we will plant churches because it's an overflow of a follower of Jesus being multiplied and saying, here am I, send me. Are you okay? Are you good? I've got to land this, our mandate. An unstoppable church knows that our mandate is to make disciples. Can you imagine if we went to the Wimpy after this meeting? Does that still exist, right? The Wimpy. <laughs> I haven't had the privilege of going there yet. And I think they still make hamburgers, right? I mean, I'm not sure good burgers, but okay, well, let's move from the wimpy. What about pizza? Pizza Hut. Do you have a Pizza Hut here? Okay, so 
if you went to Pizza Hut and said, okay, I'd like to order a pizza. And they said, sorry, you, you, we, don't, we don't serve pizzas. We don't make pizzas. You'd be like, but hang on, this is Pizza Hut, right? No, yeah, but we're trying some new things. We, we got some donuts, burros rolls, coffee. You'd be like, hang on, hang on. You are misrepresenting your brand. I'd like to see the owner or the manager. Why? Because I want a pizza. That's why I'm here. You're known for making pizza. The church is misrepresenting the brand. We are known for everything. We're known for buildings, facilities, ministries, preachers, pastors, whatever it is. But what about this? We should be known for making disciples. And if we're not making disciples, can I just say, we're misrepresenting our brand. We've been given a commission. The last words of Jesus to his disciples was this, all authority in heaven is given to me that go and make disciples. And so we are an unstoppable church when we give ourselves to making disciples. We're an unstoppable church when we understand our momentum is the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't stay there. I just want to say this. I've been taught for so many years that momentum is a leader's best friend. And I want to tell you, I don't believe that biblically. In actual fact, everything we were doing stopped through COVID. And we realized we were running with a lot of good things that was not necessarily God things. Because momentum's not necessarily God. It's just momentum. Momentum is not something we run with. The momentum we carry is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the disciples, wait, do nothing until you receive power. Don't run with mission without power. Don't run with stuff without understanding. We want no more flesh. You need power from on high to do what it is I've called you to do. Dynamite, dunamis, not to blow things up. The ability to do the things you've been called to do. And there's a fresh sense of the outpouring of God. There's a fresh sense of the Holy Spirit. And friends, let me ask you, please, let's not allow our momentum to catch us running with the momentum. Let's get the Holy Spirit keeping in step, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who leads us, guides us, and takes us on in unstable circumstances. The Holy Spirit is not an op optional extra for deluxe Christians. He's God who empowers us to do what it is He's called us to. And we're just going to have to get some of that stuff sorted out as believers on not what we think of the Holy Spirit, what the Word of God has to say about the Holy Spirit. Stop listening to the preachers who are for and against. Go back to the Word of God. How about God teach us what He has to say about Him, God the Holy Spirit? There's the great teacher, great revealer. But I'm telling you this. We need to understand the Holy Spirit is our momentum. Because without Him, we are very stoppable. But with Him, we're unstoppable. And the last thing I want to say is that we understand the value of the church. You see, an unstoppable church understands the means is the church. I'm amazed. Maybe it's an American thing, but I think it's here too, how mission people are all about mission at the expense of the, of the church. See, Jesus is building His church according to Matthew 16. We don't separate from the church. We are the church. We function in and through, and we value the local church. And when we go, we establish local church. We are the church. But so many guys want to do mission apart from the church. God won't do that. Unstoppable church understands the means is the church. And the church needs to view herself again as Jesus views it. We're not the goal of mission. We're the vehicle for mission. The church does not send. The church is sent. We are necessary in the mission and the mandate that God has for us. Would you stand with me, please, friends? Just stand with me for a minute. Don't leave. I just wrote this down. A few weeks back, I just want to read this over us about the dream. I have a dream of the church, and I just want to speak it over us in sense of 
just understanding an unstoppable church. Maybe if you're happy to raise your hands just to receive it. Again, this is not necessarily the Word of God, but this is a dream that I'm just speaking over me, over us. I dream to be a part of this church that I'm about to read about. Can I, I dream of a church that is filled with God's magnificent glory. Her members are adventurers, not merely attenders. Her leaders are releases. They are not containers. They are equippers. They are not superstars. Her youth are leaders, strong in word, purity, and deed. Her attitude is kingdom, not self-preservation or self-promotion. Her heart is generous, giving until it hurts, preferring others beyond themselves. Her worship is passionate and filled with encounter, not just simply singing songs. Her prayers are fervent, not apathetic. They're effective and authoritative, not empty. Her influence transforms nations, politics, laws, businesses, medicine, education, the arts, the media, morality, and the family. She innovates with fresh ideas and strategies to transform the world. She leads. She does not follow. She amplifies the message of the gospel by demonstration and declaration. She is united under Christ and His great call for her. She clarifies Christ's call by discipleship. She's committed to completing the Great Commission. She exemplifies the unmatched love of God. She is filled with miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance, and joy. Her gatherings are presence-filled, powerful, challenging, and Jesus-focused. She is clean and clear in a world that is moral, with moral filth and confusion. She is gracious to the hurting and sin-bound. Everything she touches is made clean. Her Lord is Jesus. Her power is that of the Holy Spirit. Her love is of the Father. And she is getting herself ready for Him to return. That is something of the dream I see that God has for His people today in this room. That's His church. So as we go, would you raise your hands? Is that okay? Can I pray? I know I keep asking you to raise your hands. Keep you awake. Friends, this is an incredibly strategic season, I believe, for the church globally, but certainly here in this nation. I, I want to commend you for your faithfulness to the Lord and for your tenacity through the crazy season you've been through. I really do. Well done. Well done. But tonight, the Lord says, take off your high heels. Take off your attraction. We're not about being attractive. We're about taking ground, occupying, and possessing. Put on the all-terrain shoes. Is a shift in season for every one of us. And today the Lord says, go in the name of Jesus and be the unstoppable church in an absolutely crazy and uncertain world that we're living in. And so, Father, I pray for this amazing bunch of people from all over this region young and old, from different cultures, different backgrounds, different history. We are different, but we are united. We are celebrating that we are called, and we want to hold tightly to our call, but we want to hold loosely to how we express the call, because you've made us different, you've called us to be different, but you've united us for purpose and plans. I pray you'll breakthrough over this region. I pray your breakthrough over the church that is represented here today. Lord, would you unify the church even stronger? Would you pour out more of your blessing, more of your power? Would you give us courage and boldness and clarity to speak it up, to speak the truth, to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth in our lives 
and in our regions and in our places. I pray for multiplication. I pray for new doors and more doors. And I ask, Lord, that as we focus on what you're doing, as the open doors open into the unreached regions, we will say, here am I, send me. Send us. We will go. We will be used. May we be a people who truly perhaps usher in the return of our great King and Lord and Savior. Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you've not just held us, but you've empowered us. And we are stronger than we've ever been because you are unshakable. And you have done some shaking, but you've brought us back to the things that really matter. And so there is a clarion call to go and be, to let go, and to let's go. And may we do it all for the glory of Jesus. I pray for major breakthroughs. I pray for this city to be different because of the response tonight. I pray for this region to be different. And I'm bold enough to ask, let the nations be different as we respond to your call. As you say go, we will go and do what it is. We give you all the praise and glory. Let's just shout his name. We shout the praise of our God. Worthy King Jesus, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name.